Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Moms No Fluff. If you have never been here before, welcome. If you have been here before, welcome. We are very happy to have you. Alma, today I'm very excited. We are going to talk about extracurricular activities for our kids with disabilities. And I know that uh, it's important for all of us that A, our kids have activities to get involved in that are a, a way to create more social connections, but it also is helpful and important to develop their personality, their other skills and their interests. So we want to dive into that and uh, I hope uh, introduced a few options for our listeners on how to create and do extracurricular activities with their kids. You forgot one important part of this. Which is? That for the parents to not go nuts being stuck at home. <laughs> yeah, and that's very, very smart. I did not mention that, but that's a good point. Yes. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we try to be as altruistic as we can, just thinking about the children. But it's very important that we stay sane. And um, it's also a great way to meet other parents, which, you know, we'll be talking about. So um, shall I begin? Talking? Go for it, Alma. Go for it. Thank you. Some of my own thoughts about this. So this is a tough one for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, we've talked in other episodes about people meeting other people, the importance of getting connected to other people. And, and as we have discussed in other episodes, some of the most important people who have helped us out with different things or help uh, become our friends so that we have a social connection with people who have kids with disabilities is through these extracurricular activities because you're either accompanying your child doing the activity or you're watching and waiting for your child in a waiting room um, or a separate room. So it's very important to um, have this as a part of your life for all the reasons that you, Iris, just said, um, but also for, for the parents and the connections, which also leak into the children's connection. So everything helps everything else. If you meet someone in an extracurricular activity, then you're fostering a relationship with them, which will then bring the kids into it. And it's always nice to have um, a parent that you're connected with who has a child with similar needs as yours so that you can do things together and you can you know, learn and learn from each other and participate in activities together. Cause it's, you know, for a lot of people, the more the merrier. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about is, uh, you know, and again, we've talked about, this is a little overlap with other episodes that we've done, but how to find the extracurricular activities. We've done an episode on, um, you know, finding services, but finding out about extracurricular activities can be just as hard for, for some people. So it's really um, vital that we look at magazines, local newspapers and, and magazines and online papers to see what's available um, for kids with special needs. And as with everything else, I think it's really important. Um, I think Iris will attest to this, that it's really important to talk to other parents about activities that their kids are involved with. 
agree with that, Iris? Yeah, I agree with that. And I actually wanted to take a step back from uh, actually finding the places or the activities. I wanted to mention that uh, with our kids with disabilities, we have the choice. We can choose whether our child can participate in an activity that wasn't designated or designed specifically for kids with disabilities and uh, make a choice whether we want to, let's say, uh, register our child to a chess club that is for the general population or not, and uh, also choose, let's say, uh, adapted swimming for, the, for that same child. So as you're considering your child's interests and the ways in which you want to support their fun time in extracurricular activity, uh, just, just uh, bear in mind that some activities that weren't specifically designs, designed for kids with special needs can be very easily adapted and very easily become inclusive if you just have a small conversation with the person who's running the program. Back to you, Alma. Yes, and you're reminding me of how, and this was something you were involved with, with us, Iris, that um, in our town, we had uh, someone from the uh, art museum who came to our uh, parenting group to talk about how to make the art programs at the art museum, the local art museum more accessible. And we gave our input. So uh, we can always let people know who are running programs in our towns a way to make, we can give our input to, to show them and to talk, describe how their programs could be accessible to our children. One example was a painting class, an art class at the museum. And Iris talked about, uh, what, what was it that you talked about, about having, uh, well, that your daughter uses a stylus in her mouth to paint because she can't use her hands, right? And there was something else about like a seat or something or a table that lifts up to help her. Yeah, we, we were talking about uh, about how to make a, a kind of equipment uh, modified or more adapted for different users. But uh, I have to say that um, art classes are one of the activities that in the earlier years, my daughter really enjoyed participating in. And we were lucky because in uh, that specific uh, Montclair Art Museum that you mentioned, we had the pleasure to participate in activities that were meant for children who were homeschooled and in activities that were meant for the general kids population, but uh, art classes in the afternoon that my daughter attended with, uh, again, uh, typical children, uh, but with some accommodations for her and usually accompanied by two adults. Uh, for my daughter to participate, I needed to, to be there in addition to her aid to make it uh, feasible for her to attend. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there's a way to, you know, it's a matter of kind of working with the system and you have to be willing and able to work with the system. And as we've said in many other episodes, if you can't do that kind of advocacy, get someone else to do it. Maybe it's too much for you to do, but ask someone else um, in your life to do it, whether it's a group of, of an organized group for, who, who advocates for, for people with disabilities or a friend or a grandparent. So there's a way to do it, even if you feel overwhelmed. You know what, Alma, now that you're saying this, I now remember that I kind of came into this uh, activity and to become, I guess, more involved with the museum because um, as a homeschooling uh, family, when we just moved to New Jersey, we started going with the homeschoolers and then I learned about other activities there. And the only time that I actually started 
maybe some activism in the museum and giving them their my my input is that they actually came to your group and they asked the parents how can the Montclair Art Museum become more accessible to your families and then I'm like okay let me tell you I am there twice a week and here is <laughs> my story but um, but but sometimes uh, you know it's it's something that um, happens from the other direction the, the the facility the organization the uh, club whatever it is would want to ask you how how they can work with you and your family and that's like i think the best uh, best scenario but i i i don't think that we as a family never shied away from including our daughter from art classes ballet classes and the uh, even a judo class, which is quite extraordinary, considering that our daughter is quadriplegic and that judo is very physically active. But uh, we try to include her in any activity that uh, was around that sounded interesting for her, that she was able and willing to try. Because if your child is not interested and willing to try, then save yourself the effort. That's all I want to say. Um, so I'm, I'm reminded of so many things that we discussed in the, um, you know, learning about all sorts of things from other, other families and, and why it's so important to be a part of a, a disability community so that you can learn from them. Um, there are a variety of programs, um, hopefully in your, wherever you live, in your city or in your suburb, and it's important to just, you know, look online, that's the first step, look online, see what's available. But unfortunately, a lot of these things are not listed online. So it's really important to find out from other people, they're hidden. So I think I mentioned before that we uh, um, participated in a special Olympics gymnastics class. And when I met the other parents in that class, I found out about myriad other programs and services, because they were in the same boat I was. And we we learn so much from each other about, about other activities for our kids, including free summer camps for kids with disabilities. So all sorts of really, really important things. Um, if your child, um, if, if there is, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, Iris, about if your child has an interest in something, but sometimes it's, if there's a behavioral issue or a motor issue, it might be, and they wanna be alone, they wanna do their own class, um, and not have a, a, an aid with them, something that you might wanna consider are classes that you can do alongside them. So it's not like you're helping them, you're actually participating in the class. And I bring that up because it's very fresh in my mind because tonight I'm doing one of those classes. So get ready, hold on to your seats because I'm about to tell you that my son and I are taking part in a tap dancing class. And it's not because of my son, it's because of me. <laughs> I wanted to take tap dancing. I've wanted to study it my whole life. And I saw that it was available to adults and teens. And I might've wanted to put my son in a different class without me, but I didn't think that it was gonna be, um, it was not a class that was considered an inclusive class. And he has um, some motor issues. Um, and you know, some cognitive things that would keep him from really being at the same pace as a lot of the other uh, participants in the class. But because I'm taking this class with him, um, 
we're both able to enjoy it. And honestly, the real reason that he's in the class with me is because I didn't want to leave him at home because I didn't know when, what my husband's schedule was going to be like to take care of him. And I didn't want to stress every time I took the class. And I was like, oh, well, it's for adults and teens. I'll take him with me. So that comes with its own list of challenges doing the class with him because I tend to, when he's talking out of turn, I will kind of step in. Um, and the teacher sort of said like, I can deal with it. Um, so the teacher and I have discussions about when I should speak up and when he should you know, speak up. And again, it, we found a solution that I go to the other end of the class now from him. I don't stand next to him. I go to the other end of the class um, of the of the room, I mean, and the teacher is the one who keeps him in line. And I don't have to feel compelled because I, honestly, I'm embarrassed by, you know, his speaking at a turn and he starts tapping when the teacher is tapping or tapping when the teacher is talking and he's making noise. So the teacher handles it and I don't have to. So that's another option to do a class with your child alongside them as a class participant. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I uh, salute you for, for doing that with Link. It's amazing. Let me tell you, emotionally, emotionally <laughs> yeah. it's harder than the actual tap dancing, which is also really hard. Yeah, uh, com comes to mind to mention that the reason I didn't mention extracurricular activities is time for the parents to have a time on their own and rest because for me, that was never the experience. Every time that I wanted my daughter to participate in something, I had to become an active participant in it. And uh, I think that uh, for some of our kids, yes, it's a possibility. And if the parent can kind of like sit with themselves and think about the uh, interest fields in which their child might be interested in uh, participating in an activity and what are their strengths and weaknesses, things that can trigger uh, them emotionally or physically and things that go easily and then have an open discussion with whoever is running the class, it makes everything easier for all of the participants, not just the, the teacher and the child, it's the other participants as well because they kind of see that the teacher is more I guess in their comfort zone around your child and that makes the other children more at ease with your child as well so that's that's an important strategy that uh, worked for us in the past we had to obviously because uh, Karen is both nonverbal and uh, cannot really use her body without uh, an extensive intervention from her aides and the parents, we usually um, had to take a very active role in her classes, whether they were meant for children with special needs and or kids with disabilities, or if they were meant for the general population. It's important to also consider when you come to participate in something like that, what are the benefits and the effort that you need to put into it? Because as I mentioned in a different episode, sometimes the ratio just doesn't make sense. I can tell you that doing a judo class and having to hold my daughter as a kind of puppeteer trying to move her and move her body against another child's body, even though I have some experience with judo, it was like very, very tough on, on my body. Was that like the best uh, venue for her to attend the class with her peers? Not too sure, but uh, we were lucky we had uh, uh, Gali Amit, who's a judo instructor that has experience working with children with special needs, and uh, he, he made it work. And sometimes if the instructor is uh, 
aware enough, they would create situation in which, which your child can really, really gain a lot and be the center of an activity, even without any ability to compensate for, uh, for the task at hand. And uh, sometimes it's simple things like in our daughter's situation, it's instead of calling everyone to sit next to the instructor, is the instructor always coming to where she's at and calling all the kids to gather around her. This is for a child who's not mobile. That makes a world of difference. So it's little things like that that you need to help the instructor sometimes tweak the activity to make, make it feasible for your family. And it's also a great lesson for the other people in the class to see that there's someone who has a disability who's in the class. And it's really powerful to other children or adults. In my case, you know, my son is 17 and we're taking this TAP class with adults. Um, and there's one younger kid there who's actually really good at tap dancing. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a learning experience, I'm sure, for them as well, seeing because I think they're catching on or they caught on quite quickly that, you know, he was very, you know, slow to learn some of this stuff and um, still is, but he's allowed to be there. And, uh, you know, I'm, and as a parent, I get very self-conscious about the class going too slowly for the other participants, but I have to just back off and let the teacher deal with that because that's inclusion, you know, yeah. that's inclusion. So I'm really, it's a real struggle for me, something psychological to get over to just, that's why I went to the other end of the room. So I don't even have to have Lincoln near me and, you know, depend on me for certain things or so that's, that's um, something else to think about. And I was just going to ask something else that I lost my train of thought um, about, oh, that a big issue I've seen over the years, you know, because I've been in this game for a while, is that um, there are some parents who really don't feel comfortable having their kids being in an exclusively special needs or dis disability focused class. Um, and they want their kid mainstreamed. And there's a time, you know, my feeling, my personal feeling, you know, I don't judge anyone for, for feeling that, for, for doing what they're going to do. But for me, I think there's a time and a place for both. So I'm doing this tap dancing class with them, which is not a class for kids with disabilities. Um, but I also have him in a baseball program and a soccer program that are pretty much exclusively for kids with disabilities. And he loves it. So it's not like he's embarrassed and I'm forcing him to go. He enjoys it. He likes being with the other kids. It's social for him. And um, you know, that's why a lot of people are not that into Special Olympics because they feel like it is, you know, it should be, there should be inclusion in, in kids programs. I feel a little, you know, I'm more open about um, having him participate in all different sorts of things. So he has definitely been in regular you know, typical kid classes um, where we have to have someone there or someone who's not there uh, as long as the teacher can handle it. And that one example of that was a yoga class he took where there were, it ended up being a lot of kids with disabilities because they were a little bit older and typically in junior high school, you know, middle school, kids will be doing their own thing and they won't be taking a yoga class. So he, it ended up being a lot of kids with disabilities, but they weren't all kids with disabilities. And the teacher was able to handle all the kids um, with their differences. So, you know, it, it's like anything else where it depends on the teacher. It depends on the activity that the kid's doing, their interest level in it. So all of these are factors in, in choosing extracurricular activities. And as you said, Iris, the idea of 
how much work is this going to be? Is this worth it? And I'm reminded again of you talking about parking, that the class might be great, the teacher might be great, but if the parking for someone who has to use a wheelchair is impossible or there's snow all the time, I remember you talking about how there was snow all the time in a parking lot and you couldn't park there in the winter and it took you half an hour to get out of there, that's not worth it necessarily for, to do the class. And that's where some maybe some advocacy needs to happen to tell the organization to clean up the snow or you just don't do it. Yeah, and definitely uh, I am all for inclusion, but I have to say that some of those classes that are tailored specifically for kids with disabilities are a godsend gift because uh, can you imagine any other scenario where Karen with quadriplegic cerebral palsy could dance with dancers from the New York City Ballet, <laughs> unless it was a, an, an adapted class that was meant specifically for kids with CP. So, so that's, uh, that's something that uh, sometimes there, there are bigger, better opportunities in classes and places that tailor their activities specifically for you know, kids with disabilities. I spoke in a different episode about how hard it is when you go to an activity like that and you find out that your child is the one with the most severe disability and can't really attend because even the class that was meant for kids with disabilities wasn't thinking that far, you know, in terms of the scale of ability or lack thereof. And that that has been an interesting uh, journey sometimes when, when you're in a place that was meant to assist, but they are not well equipped. So I, I always say it doesn't really always matters if the activity was there originally for kids with disabilities or not. It can be amazing sometimes, but even if there is a, an activity in mind that wasn't meant for your child specifically or their disability group, if I can call it that way, you can probably meet with the organizers and help them tailor it so, so that your kid can attend. That being said, I wanted to mention another uh, possibility, and this is something I've been through a lot with uh, my kids. So I guess a part of being unschoolers is that you don't belong to any organized uh, activity, uh, facility, school, whatever it is, and you kind of have to create the activities for your children according to their interests or, I guess, passions and mm. help them uh, kind of realize it with other children or other people that have the same interest. So as an unschooler, I had the opportunity many times to create uh, what we refer to sometimes as co-ops in which a few families kind of gather together uh, around a special interest and they create an activity for their children to explore that uh, together. So for example, my son used to do carpentry with other boys that uh, wanted the same activity and they would build their own weapons <laughs> for a bunch of eight-year-old boys. It was amazing. But um, something uh, very, very simple is to even let's say if your child doesn't have an interest, they don't have a passion, there isn't something that kind of sparks your uh, kind of immediate direction where you should go. Even clinging to something like tradition, like uh, we created once a co-op that was meant for Israeli families in which we were kind of celebrating uh, Israeli holidays together with our children. And the activity, it was just like three families, so a total of seven or eight kids all together. And we split the, the activity between the moms. So one mom would read a book out loud to the children 
about that specific holiday and what it means and why. Another mom who loved cooking uh, would create with the children a dish that was related to that holiday. And the third mom taught a song uh, that was related to that holiday. So there wasn't anything like, I don't know, impressive about the activity, but still it was two hours that the kids were gathered together around an, a, a topic that was in a way relevant to all of them just by virtue of being Israelis. And we did an activity in a different language around that topic. So I don't know what you have in mind uh, and, and what culture or uh, I guess ideas you can come up with to create something like that. But even if it's a, a group of uh, three families with, a, with children with similar disabilities or with no disabilities, in our case, my daughter was the only participant with a disability, you can create something and you can create activities in and around your child that they can attend and that is comfortable for everybody else to participate as well. Yeah, and you're reminding me that we, we've done similar things where we, we don't do the activity necessarily ourselves, but we paid um, someone else. So, you know, there are teachers, like gym teachers in schools, there are um, art teachers, and there's an, a, uh, an American Sign Language teacher in our district and we paid her to do a sign language class for um, my kids and my friend's kids and for the adults. And we all participated and she taught sign language to, to, all, the, to, to all of us. And um, so, and it didn't come out to, you know, a tremendous amount of money because we all, you know, we chipped in, but it was really wonderful. So as with anything else, if something doesn't exist, there's no reason why you can't create it. You know, you, it's very simple to say, hey, you know, to either give money or you can barter with someone. If you teach this, you know, I will cook for you. Or if you, if you know someone with a particular talent, um, you know, having your child, if your child's able to learn piano, for example, or singing or sign language or um, drawing, just anything at all, uh, there can, there's someone there to teach it. And you can either pay them or barter with them. And that's another way to have an extracurricular activity that, you know, might, as you said, Iris, be more comfortable because you're setting the parameters, you're setting up the rules for it, the days, the times. So there's a lot more flexibility when you're creating something, you, you're owning it. Yeah. And I want to say something about accommodations and about uh, how to include kids with, that have more complex disabilities in some of those activities. Because uh, one might listen and say, well, my child doesn't, uh, can't, can't move. They can't even, let's say, paint with a, a stylus or a, a brush in, in their mouth. Like, how do I even get them involved with the arts? So uh, given, uh, like, with uh, Karen, our daughter, obviously she is having a really hard time playing an instrument. There is a way that she can play on a piano with a helmet with a stick that kind of comes out of her forehead and she kind of can follow some simple uh, simple uh, how do you say notes and, and create a song like that however it's very hard for her with her movement to follow a rhythm because it's so hard to coordinate and control her muscles so for example she cannot let's say play an instrument However, she can enjoy a music appreciation class with everybody else and, and have the same level of uh, learning and joy as everyone else. So it's maybe not playing an instrument, but it's still around that space that she loves and enjoys so much. 
Yeah, so, so this, is, this is something to think about. You need to kind of think in a more kind of broad um, concept about the, the things that they enjoy and how they can participate and then find, of course, the, the right venue. And that brings us back to what Alma, you mentioned earlier on. I, I do have um, an example like uh, for, for arts classes that can work for children that have a very, very limited ability to participate. So uh, there is an artist in Israel, which we attended a couple of his workshops here in the States. His name is Hanoch Piven, and he creates art uh, that uses uh, symbols. So he basically creates uh, portraits of different uh, famous figures just by uh, using glued on uh, symbols to, let's say, use a ketchup bottle as the nose and a car as the mouth, etc. So that technique really opened my mind to how we can help uh, kids participate in the arts without really having a physical ability. So all that they uh, do is basically choose and the choices can be very different but someone else uh, helps them kind of bring the choice into on, onto paper and with that to create the art so even if your kid is limited to just let's say saying yes and no to things you can help them develop an artistic project with that for that you probably again need to consult with the instructor instructor of the class and know ahead of time what are the different projects that uh, the class is going to be involved in and prepare ahead of time both the materials and the choices for you know constructing something on their own but this is something that really helped us in the past and i hope would help other families as well and check out Hanoch Piven he's amazing very cool and that can also uh be used for colors you know yes and no i want it to be this color i want it to be that color um writing as well telling a story if they can't write they can dictate and they can dictate with you know with their eyes with the eye gaze as you mentioned I know that you take advantage of things like that having a writing group and what's really important to think about to think out of the box is that you don't have to go places you can create these things in your own home so we're calling it extracurricular that doesn't mean it has to be outside the house it can be in you know these are activities in the house so you can have instructors come to your house if you have enough people involved or even just one person if you can you know you want to pay it again it doesn't not everything has to be with money it can be with bartering it could be volunteer work somebody's doing it could be um work to get credits for for school if they're in a master's program and this is you know a class that they want to run or an individual you know one-on-one -on -one project but these things can be in your home if you don't you know sometimes people like to really push themselves to get out of the home to do to do these things that's another option i know someone who works who lives in an apartment building and they have a, they don't their apartment's very small but they have a community room on each floor and they can you know conduct these classes in that community room if need be so they're not in their house but they don't have to travel which is you know can be an impediment to joining a class if you have to you know use a wheelchair or your, if your child has behavioral issues and you you know you have issues when you're traveling it can be something right by your house so that they can run back to the to, to get their needs met if they have to go to the bathroom or if they have to um just get some space to calm down there's there's a place to go that's familiar to them so that's the benefit of having an extracurricular activity inside your your apartment your building your your home 
Yeah. I want to say something <laughs> like uh, usually having a small New Jersey apartment was considered a disadvantage. However, I found out that uh, bringing the activities specifically to our home and our apartment made things much easier in terms of inclusion because some of our friends would have like big houses with family rooms and living rooms and all of that. And uh, then the kids would tend to disappear. They would all run upstairs, downstairs to different rooms. And what ended up happening is that my daughter was left alone with the parents to kind of listen to their conversation, which was very not, uh, you know, fun for, for a kid. So when um, the activities were in my house I, or my apartment, I was able to create a space that made, made it such that all the kids and all the fun stuff happened on the dining table where her communication device was, when she was comfortable sitting and uh, then she was always included in what was going on because they were all kind of condensed into that small space. That being said, uh, I want to mention something else, uh, physical activities. For, for many, many kids uh, with mobility issues, uh, attending any physical activity is a challenge, uh, let alone with other kids who are physically able. But one fun place that we found that is easy uh, for our daughter to be um, included, if not uh, in some ways like the center of attention, is the pool. In the pool, everybody is kind of basically floating with their chest or head above water. And that really mm -hmm. uh, makes, uh, makes it possible for her to communicate with other kids at eye level, which is, if you don't know, a serious problem for someone who's constantly in a chair and when other people are walking and running, it's kind of hard to do. And we did create a bunch of games that can be played in a pool where she's included. So for example, we would buy like rings that she would throw, right? With the help of the adult with her somewhere. And then the kids had to kind of find it in the pool and swim back to us, bringing her the, uh, the ring and then she would repeat that. So she was included in a game in a way that um, kept her center stage and also a, a part of, of the activities and the kids were uh, curious and to see where she would like throw it. Obviously we helped her with that, but nevertheless. Yeah, and you're reminding me of places like um, ball pits and um, uh, you know, these trampoline type places where kids who have a lot of energy, a lot of um, you know, <laughs> a lot of need to, to expend energy that can be, you know, that can be an extracurricular activity. And they, what do they call the, I forget what they're called, but these, these, they have places everywhere now that have these little trampolines and they have um, basically gym mats everywhere. So it's a great, you know, think about how, what your kid is capable of um, or not necessarily capable of, but would like to be capable of if, if it's a possibility and really think outside the box by talking to the instructor. Because even if you feel like, oh, I don't think that they are gonna be able to do that, talk to the instructor and see if there's a way to include them or to have them be a part of it. Because um, there's, if there's a will, there's a way from, from most of, you know, it can be frustrating. I'm not saying it's not a challenge and it's not gonna be a lot of work, but if it's worth it to you or your child to really be a part of whatever activity it is, it's worth it to inquire and just see if there's a possibility. Um, and you know, it could actually happen. Yeah, so I think that was kind of a good review of all, all of the ways that we included our kids. 
I uh, as always would really encourage uh, our listeners to share with us uh, wild things that they did or are still doing with their children and ways that they managed to include their kids in unexpected ways, in unexpected activities, as we all learn from it as a community. Alma, do you have any words to summarize? Just hang in there, because if your kid doesn't do well in one program, that doesn't mean, or one extracurricular activity, it doesn't mean that they won't do well elsewhere. So try to just take a deep breath if it doesn't work out for whatever reason and try the next one. And that means self-care, um, self-care for you and to be emotionally prepared for you know what could happen and plan for the worst, hope for the best in all of these activities. Um, do as much as you can to prepare for your child to have a good experience. You can't control for everything, but really take that time before going to these activities to think what could happen that I can, you know, take care of before it happens, if, if it's possible to take care of it. And, you know, you might have, you know, I don't like to use failures, but you might have negative experiences, but don't let that deter you from, from trying other things. That's, that's my last, that's my last bit of advice. Yeah, you kind of remind me that we are registering our kids to extracurricular activities to develop their creativity, etc. But we're actually developing our own creativity when we're trying to include them and making sure that they can equally participate like everybody else. So Alma, thank you again today for this conversation. And I'll see you next time. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. See you all. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.